You ever heard someone or, or listening to someone and they're just going on and on and on and on and you're thinking just like, when are you ever going to get to the point? Just overwhelmed with everything you're saying. And I know right now some of you are like, yeah, Dave, last time you preached. <laughs> it's fair. It's fair. I get it. But sometimes we just want to want to cut through the mess. We want to get to the point. There's this feeling at time, like time is short. What's the point? What's, what's the meaning that we're supposed to get to? I think often we feel this in our lives as well. Like we want to get to the point of our lives. What's the meaning? What's the purpose? What's the point? What's the point of getting out of bed in the morning? What's the point of going to work? What's the point of coming to church? What's the point in trying to raise our kids? They're not going to listen to us anyway. What's the point? What's the point of trying to live for Christ in this world? It seems like our efforts just don't seem to make much of a difference. What's the point? Why bother? Today I want us to get to the point. I want us to understand that there is a point, a purpose for all things. And, and not just this deep spiritual religious meaning of like correcting theology and understanding what the point of our, all of our theology is. But like I want something ringing in our heads that in the morning before our feet hit the floor we say, this is why I'm getting out of bed. This is why I'm going to work. This is why I'm going to show love to my family. This is why I'm going to interact with people at church. This is why I do what I do and why I am who I am. And so I want us to get to the point. And in order to get to the point, we first have to get to the problem. Because if we're going to understand the purpose of all things, we have to understand that there is a problem that comes in and complicates all things. I've shared with you before uh, over the years the complications I've had throughout my life with my lungs. Uh, When I was in 7th or 8th grade, I started having pain in my chest and difficulty breathing. This went on for probably a year and a half, almost two years before I was diagnosed. And it was a terrible time for me. The things that go through your head, wondering what the problem is. And you go to some very dark places. And I wondered, like, was my heart giving out? Did I have cancer? And of course, any of these could have been true. What is going on? And I was so scared. And I went to doctor after doctor, test after test, scan after scan. And the results would always come back. We can't find anything. So then, of course, I'm thinking, well, maybe I'm just crazy. Is this just me while I'm sitting there going, (gasps) and I can't breathe because it hurts so much, and I'm thinking, is it all in my head? That's a terrible place to be. But through all of it, nobody could say, this is the problem. And so I didn't know what it was, so we were trying to solve something that we didn't know what the problem was. Finally, when I was a freshman in high school, I went to a specialist who took a really hard look at an x-ray that had happened at one of these times, and he said, your lungs collapsed. And so they started digging into it and looking at it, and lucky me, I've got a defect on my lungs that they just burst every once in a while, and the air leaks out, and the lung collapses, and it's great fun. (laughs) But now I knew. 
I knew this was the problem. And then he said, and there's a solution. There's a surgery we can do that will help you. And so I went through the surgery my freshman year of high school. And and unfortunately, I think I've shared with you before, I thought at that time that would solve it. That turned out not to be the case. It just keeps it from killing me, which is helpful. Don't get me wrong. Uh, But it still really hurts from time to time. But sometimes with people in the church, when you're going through, especially medical issues, and, and like people are listing symptoms, but they're saying the doctor can't find what it is. And I think I know that feeling. And I know the terror. I, I know the frustration, the anxiety, the terror, that self-doubt that comes in. Like, is it just me? Is it all in my head? I know that when we know something's wrong, but we don't know what it is, we are living with an immense amount of pressure and anxiety. And it was a huge relief to me when I found out what it was. It wasn't a solution, but it was a relief to say there is a name for what you have. It is a known thing. And then to know that there was something that could be done about it. And that's why we need to start with understanding that we've got to get to the problem. We always want to skip over this. When we look at the world and we say, I want to know what the point is. I want to know what the purpose is. We've got to start with the problem. And here's what I want you to know. When we start with the problem, we will actually find incredible relief. Incredible relief. See, we look at the world around us. We know something's wrong. We look at other people in our life and at times we know something's wrong. We look at our own hearts and our own lives and our own decisions and we we know something's wrong. But when we don't know what it is, sometimes the answer we go to is, well, if I just try harder, maybe I can fix it. Maybe it's me. Maybe I'm just not good enough, so I need to try to be better. And then we try to fix ourselves and we wonder why we're not changing. We start trying to fix everybody around us. We wonder why they're not changing. We often, in in the goodness of our hearts, even as Christians, we try to fix the world around us and we go, man, it's not fixing. Well, then what do we do? If it's all on us to fix the problem because we think the problem is us, what do we do when it doesn't work? Well, we either try harder or we give up. Why bother? Maybe there is no point. All of the pressure is on our shoulders. And maybe today that's where you're at. Maybe you're thinking, I've been trying so hard to fix this thing in my life. This thing in my family. This thing in the world. I've been trying so hard. And I keep trying harder and harder. Maybe you're at the phase of, I'm ready to give up. Maybe you're at the phase of, I'm trying to ignore it and just hope it goes away. Or maybe you're thinking, I just need to keep trying harder. And I want you to hear a message of great comfort and relief. The ultimate problem of this world is not something you can fix. And therefore, it's not something you have to fix. That burden is not on our shoulders. That's comforting, isn't it? But we have to understand what the problem is is. So let's look at what scripture says. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says this, for all have sinned and fall short 
of the glory of God. It's very rare in, in churches or when you're talking to people about the Bible or religion that they say, man, I find the concept of sin and all of us being a sinner to be just so comforting and a great relief. Usually when we talk about sin, people say, oh, you're just being judgmental. But we know there's something wrong with the world. We just can't always put our finger on it. And then the Bible comes along and puts the finger on it and then we go, I don't want to hear it. But if we can start with the problem, we can get to the point. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We'll talk in a moment about what sin is. But the Bible says it is a problem that each and every one of us has and every single person in the world has. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sin. And then he goes on to talk about some other stuff. But look at that. And again, I know you're sitting there going, Pastor, this is not relieving or comforting whatsoever. Sin brings death. Death entered the world when Adam and Eve sinned. We all live in that world now. We're all in a world destined for death because of sin. And the world is fundamentally broken and hurting. But hang on, because there is powerful relief through understanding what the problem is. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 goes a step farther. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. That's hard. Romans 8.22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Even the natural order of the world. Our weather patterns, our ecology, all of nature, there is a brokenness to all of it. And we see hints of this in the world when specialists and, and really smart people try to diagnose society's problems, political problems, cultural problems, race issues, ecological issues. They're all pointing at these things and saying there's something broken. And then they're trying to say, but this is what will fix it if we all just try a little bit harder in this area. The problem is... It just leads us to constantly feeling like we need to do better. We need to try harder. And so then we do that. And I do believe there's a lot of people in this world trying really hard to do their best. And they're frustrated and getting burnt out. And sometimes they're trying really hard in the wrong direction. But we come back to this issue of sin and we say, well, that's just judgmental. But isn't it judgmental to look at the world and say there's a problem? Isn't that judgmental in the first place? I mean, to not judge at all is to say, well, evidently there's no problems. If I'm not just, if I'm not going to judge, everything must be okay. We're all judgmental because we all look at things and say, I want to know what the problem is and I want to fix it. And that's good. The problem is not whether or not we're judgmental or we judge things. It's that we judge them with a the wrong standard. So when we come to scripture and we say, okay, I see these problems in the world. I see them in me. I see them in society. And scripture says the problem is sin. Now that becomes the standard by which we view things. And it releases us from the tendency to seek our own ways to identify things and solve them. Now we're coming to scripture and saying, what does God say about one theologian writes this, one great power of sin is that it blinds men, men so they do not recognize its true character. Sin deceives. 
It causes us to look at other things and say, well, maybe this is the issue. Maybe this is the solution. Run after this. And when that doesn't work, they say, well, you didn't do hard. You didn't do it well enough. Or, or yeah, you, you're looking in the wrong direction. Let's try something else. And we run ourselves ragged. Knowing the true problem takes us out of the endless loop of seeking solutions that don't work so that we can find the true point. You and I have a problem. The whole world has a problem. Sin has broken and distorted us. It has infected and twisted our thinking and our relationships with each other, our culture, our politics, our desires, our wants, and our needs. Sin has come into all of that and distorted it. And it makes it really hard for us to figure out what the point is of anything. This is the problem. It has a name. And that means, according to God's word, it also has a solution. And that's where the powerful relief comes in. At the root of sin is a broken relationship between us and our creator. And so we have to, in order to understand sin, we have to look at that relationship, which is what I want to do next. But before we move on, I want you to understand this. If you want to get to the point of your life, If you want to understand the purpose of why you exist on this earth, you've got to start with the problem. You can't skip this step and find out who you are and what you're here for. And anyone who tries to teach you otherwise is selling you a lie. It's a shortcut to try to avoid the problem of sin and say, well, just fix yourself up. Just think differently. Just rearrange the things in the culture and everything will get better. If we skip the problem of sin... Nothing can ever change. We'll be trapped in an endless cycle of trying to do it all on our own. So we have to start with the problem, and then we've got to get through the problem to the power that solves the problem. There is great relief to understand that someone else has the problem to solve our greatest problem, or someone else has the power to solve our greatest problem. Paul writes this in Romans 1.16. I love how he starts this. The book of Romans for Paul is written to people he doesn't really know. He knows some of them that have traveled to Rome, but Paul has this plan to go to Rome and kind of work from there as a base of missionary operations. And he's writing the book of Romans kind of as a way of saying, I want you to know who I am and what I believe. And it's almost like, if you want to know the most important thing about me, here it is. And Romans 1.16 is pretty much accepted as like the theme verse for the whole book. And he says this, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. I love that. Paul's like, you want to know who I am? You want to know what I'm all about? He says, you need to know. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And we'll talk about what that is. But then he says, because it's the power of God. A power that changes us. A power that changes the world that we're living in, that we're looking at going, man, who's going to change this? It's so messed up, Paul says. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it's the power of God. The Bible begins with the words in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created us. He created all things. And as you go through Genesis 1 and 2, you see that we're created to be in a relationship with him, to reflect who God is. He gave us everything we needed in that relationship. 
And then that's where sin came in. Adam and Eve rebelled against God. They looked at all the things that God had given them and they said that's not enough. We want what we want instead of what God wants. The essence of what Adam and Eve did had really not much to do with just taking fruit. It had to do with taking authority. They said, God, we don't recognize your authority. We want to be in control. We want to determine what's right and wrong. We want to make the rules. What Adam and Eve did was a kicking of God off the throne and putting themselves on it. And we all are born into that situation. That's where humanity is. And we all do it in our own lives too. We want what we want our own way, no matter what God says. And so this is what sin is. It's this this rebellion against God, this brokenness in the relationship. So I love that Paul says that the solution to that is the power of God at work. God looked at us as rebels who wanted to kick him off the throne. And he says, I'm going to save you. I'm going to give you the solution to your biggest problem. It's the power of God. Paul explains what he means by the gospel in Romans, or I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. He writes this, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. There's the gospel. The word gospel means good news. That's what the Greek word means, good news. It's very simple. It's not a type of music. It's not a style. It's good news. And specifically in scripture, it's the good news about Jesus Christ. That God saw us in our sin and our lostness and our rebellion and he sent his son. Not just to provide us an example, but to provide us a sacrifice. He went to the cross in our place, taking our sin and our shame that should have been ours to bear and he took it and he died in our place. And then the gospel continues, and he rose again on the third day. And throughout all of Scripture in the New Testament, that idea of Christ's resurrection is then held out to us as the solution, this gift. God offers through Jesus Christ a new resurrected life, a new you. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Paul writes it this way, Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. This is good news. But it's good news you'll only get to if you understand the bad news first. But what amazing good news. Our sin has been paid for by our God who we rebelled against through giving the life of his son. That is then freely offered to us. And he doesn't say fix yourself up, shape yourself uh, correctly, fix all the problems with you and the problems with everybody around you and the problems with the world. He says, I offer this to you and here's what you have to do. You have to trust me. You have to believe that I did this for you. And Paul says, that is the power of God. In the email that went out, I said that I was preaching on the mission statement of Orchard. 
If any of you read that, you might be wondering, when are we going to get to it? <laughs> What's the point, Dave? I, I told my wife this morning, because my, my, my sermon really took a, a, a big change. I struggled to preach on the mission statement of Orchard, not because I don't agree with it, I love it, but because it's not about Orchard being Orchard, it's about God's people being God's people. And I don't want you to know how to be better Orchard attendees, I want you to know how to be better followers of Jesus Christ, whether it's at Orchard or anywhere. But I do want to come back to this mission statement because all this stuff that we're talking about is who we are as a church. We want to keep that front and center here at Orchard. And so we've written it, and when I say we, this was written before I was hired, and I love this statement. Some of you in this room were part of writing this statement. We exist to make and become fully devoted followers of Christ through the renewing and transforming power of the gospel for the glory of God. If you ever seek to become a member here at Orchard, you'll hear this in the membership classes. If, if you've been here when people have joined the church, you'll hear that wording when they join the church. As leaders, we try to look at the statement as we're evaluating things and what to do and what not to do. We come back to this. This is our purpose. And I love it because it's, it says through the renewing and transforming power of the gospel. It's very easy as leaders to think, well, if we could just get people to do this and do that and stop doing that, then all the problems would go away. We'll just get them to do the right things. That's not true. It doesn't work in a church. doesn't work in families. doesn't work in the world. What people need is to be transformed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't come together here at Orchard as Christians gathering on Sunday mornings to figure out where we need to work harder. I don't want you to leave from this place with with a bigger burden of guilt on your shoulders thinking, well, here's what the pastor said I need to fix in my life. We come together to point each other to the life-saving truth that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died in our place. That's why we come together. And to talk about how do we trust that each and every day, moment by moment in our lives. And everything we do as a church, and in everything we do as a church, we want to keep our focus on Jesus Christ and the gospel that has the power to change people. That's what we want to point to in everything that we do. Because it is the gospel of Jesus Christ that renews and transforms. That changes us, changes those people around us that we wish would change, changes the society out there that we think, how can they think that way? That's what changes people, Jesus Christ. Not our good intentions, not our furious effort, not our hastily typed things on social media that put people in their place, not our opinions or our political ideas. What changes people is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you're worn out and you're wondering what's the point, I want you to know the power of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You were created for a purpose. And God didn't just let you go. When you sought to do things your own way, He didn't just say, fine, I'm just going to leave you. He sent His Son to die in your place and raised from the dead, promising eternal life to you if you believe in Him the power of God at work. But there's one last point we must get to 
Because if we stop here, there's, I think, a mistake we can make. And I think a lot of Christians do stop here. We, we realize that we're sinners and that we need to be saved. And we, we come to Jesus and we say, I accept your salvation for me and what you've done. But then there's this like, but now what? Like, I still got to get up in the morning. I'm still going to go to work. I'm still going to feed my kids. I'm, I'm, I'm still going to do what I need to do throughout the day. So now what? And we still live in a world with broken people and broken relationships, and we still have brokenness in our own lives. So what's the point? I'm a Christian. Am I just waiting for Jesus to come back? Am I just waiting to be taken out of this mess? Is that my hope? Or do we take our Christianity, and I think this is where a lot of Christians struggle, say, okay, I'm saved by Jesus Christ. I want others to be saved too. Now it's on me to get them saved. Now it's on me to point them to Jesus. And a lot of times what that means is to act like good people. Now it's on me to change them, to fight for what God wants, to change society, change people. And we go right back into it's my problem and my job to fix everything. And that becomes a distraction from the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the third point is this. When, when we understand the problem and that we come to God and we understand the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves us, now we can get to the overall purpose of all things. If we go back to our church mission statement, it says we exist to make and become fully devoted followers of Christ through the renewing and transforming power of the gospel for the glory of God. This is one of those phrases, I think as Christians, we hear and we sing about and then we just sort of dismiss it because we don't know what to do with it. Do all things for God's glory. Yep, got it. Have no clue what it means or how to do it. Hoping it's happening in my life, but I don't know what that means, Pastor. Sounds like a great preachy spiritual word. Don't know what it means. Understanding that our purpose is for the glory of God. It it means for us as a church that everything we do, our highest purpose, as much as we want to help people, as much as we want to love people, as much as we want to be active in our community and, and doing good things, our highest purpose is bringing glory to God. Now that probably didn't help you much. Because it's not incredibly practical. Okay, great. I agree. But what does that mean? Let me help you by pointing out the other side of it. If we don't get this right, we can fall back into frustration. If we think it's our job to change the world, and I think a lot of churches are really caught up in this, it is good to want to reach out and love to our communities. It is good to be at work in the world. Those things are good. But we start seeing it as our role to change the world and then we get frustrated because the world is not changing. And because our highest goal is to change the world and it's not changing, what do we do? And we're right back to, well, I try harder or I give up or I ignore it and maybe it'll go away. But what if our goal is to bring glory to God? And God says the way that you bring glory to me is by loving other people, serving them, and yes, at times meeting their needs. So now what happens if the world is not changed by us loving people, serving them, and meeting their needs? Well, that's not our goal. Our ultimate goal is not to change them. It's to bring glory to God. And God is glorified when we do those things, whether there's any impact or not. 
And so that pressure that was on us to change the world is taken off. That's God's job. Our role is to focus on him and saying, I'm going to do the right things out of trust that God is doing what God can do. I'm going to point to him in everything that I do, no matter the outcome. Bringing glory to God means reflecting and relying on who he is. His power, his wisdom, his plans, his purpose in everything we do, no matter the outcome. This gets us off the treadmill of practicality. Well, I do this because it works, and if it doesn't work, I'm just going to stop doing this. This doesn't work as parents. You try to train your kids, and you go, well, it's not working. Well, I guess I'm just not going to do that anymore. No, if it's the right thing to do, you've got to keep trying. Sure, you might try a different way. But the ultimate goal is to be a good parent. Whether or not your child changes is ultimately not really up to you, is it? We think we have control over these things, but we don't. God does. So our role is to live for his glory. Next week, I said we're starting a sermon series on the book of Numbers. Numbers is a book about absolutely messed up people doing absolutely messed up things in an absolutely messed up situation. There's your plug for the next sermon series. Because maybe you can identify a little bit. Maybe you're like, sign me up. I'm in. That sounds like where I'm at. And I think it is where we're at. I think it's where a lot of us are at. But throughout the book of Numbers, there's an amazing thing that happens. Even through all these messed up situations, messed up people making messed up decisions, God brings glory to himself. And there are people in this group of messed up people that seek the Lord's glory, even though it has no change. In fact, a lot of times they're the ones that end up getting in trouble, but they keep on serving the Lord. And he is glorified. And he brings his people to the destination he has for them, even though they're complaining and whining and grumbling the whole way through. God brings glory to himself. There's a passage in Isaiah 48, 9 through 11 that I absolutely love. Isaiah is a prophet, and and like many prophets, he's delivering a message from God, often of judgment and discipline. Hey guys, you're screwing up. Here's what you need to do to change. But in that message, God says why he's doing this. God says, for my own name's sake, I delay my wrath. For the sake of my praise, I hold it back from you so as to not destroy you completely. See, if God wanted to fix this world, that's really easy to do. Just get rid of us. I know we'd want to say, just get rid of all the bad people. But you're probably on that list for somebody else somewhere. And the Bible says for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. So we're all on that list for God. So if we just want to get rid of all the bad things and all the bad people, sure, the world would be a wonderful place. None of us would be here. And God says why he doesn't do that. He says, for my own sake, I hold it back from you so as to not destroy you completely. See, I have refined you, though not as, not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. And listen to this. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. God is challenging them in their sin. 
He's telling them about the difficulties they're going to go through and that it's going to be really hard, but he promises not to wipe them out. And look at why he says he's going to bring them through these things. His ultimate purpose is to, yes, he has a purpose to change them and refine them, but what's his ultimate purpose? His own namesake. I will not yield my glory to another. God knows something that we don't. Something that we don't want to accept. That the highest purpose of everything must be the most important, most transformational, most sustaining purpose there is, or we will lose our way. We will get easily distracted. We will wander like those in the wilderness in the Old Testament. We'll get lost. We'll lose hope. We'll lose purpose. We'll live in guilt and shame. Maybe some of that's ringing a bell with you. God knows that the highest and most important purpose of all things must be his glory. And I want this to be practical for you. When you get up in the morning, when you go to work, when you're dealing with your spouse or your kids or you're doing the laundry or you're out in the community or serving in the church, I want you to think about what is your ultimate goal? And remind yourself, my ultimate goal is to bring glory and honor to God, no matter the results. That's my goal. The results are God's job. Worshiping him and bringing honor and glory to him is what we get to do. And God is actively at work in us making that possible. Because we can serve for ourselves to seek our own pleasure, our own fulfillment, At some point, that's going to let you down. At some point, seeking your own fun, your own fulfillment doesn't work. You can serve for the good of others. They're going to let you down. At some point, it won't work. And what are you going to do then? But if we try another way, and we say the point is bringing honor and glory to God, then we will live in such a way that seeks to bring honor and glory to God. And the highest honor and the greatest glory to God is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we trust the gospel and we point others to the gospel and we let God bring honor and glory to himself through them being changed by Jesus Christ. One person at a time that changes the world. And as we live this way, Is it possible people around us will be changed? I hope so. Is it possible the world will be changed? Well, I hope so. But ultimately, changing the world is not our job. Being faithful and bringing honor and glory to God is. God brings glory and honor to himself, even in, and sometimes especially in, our most desperate, helpless, and hopeless situations. And he's really good at it. So even if the world doesn't change around you, even if you're not changing, even if your family's not changing or your kids aren't changing, keep on bringing honor and glory to God by trusting in Him and living in faith. This is the higher purpose that takes the pressure off of us. Because when we align our highest purpose with God's highest purpose that He promises that He will accomplish, guess what? It's going to happen. And so as a church, when we say our highest purpose in everything that we do is to bring glory and honor to God, guess what? Success is guaranteed. Now, does that mean we're going to do great things and everything's going to work out well here? No, because sometimes our hardship brings glory and honor to God. 
But if our goal is glory and honor to God, it doesn't matter what the path is. We'll trust him for the path. We will live in faith every step along the way. I want to challenge you this morning to get to the point in your life. And don't settle for anything less. We need a higher purpose. Something more than just trying harder, hoping ourselves or the world around us will change. We need to come to God and trust Him. Fall on our knees before Him and say, I am a sinner. I've rebelled against you, but you have given your Son to save me. And I accept that. Then we need to trust that power at work in us. A true change that takes place. We need to accept then as that power works out in our lives, others are going to see and be pointed to Christ. Not pointed to us about how awesome we are, but pointed to Jesus Christ. And we need to accept as individuals that everything we do, we are to do for the glory of God. And that as a church, everything we do, we are to do through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. If you're looking for a church and you want to get to this point with us, we'd love to have you. But understand, this is what we're about. We're going to focus on the gospel for the glory of God, period. That's going to be kept first and foremost in this church, no matter what happens. And in your life right now, as you're fighting through confusing thoughts, difficult moments and situations, challenge yourself. Am I getting to the real point? Have I understood that I have a problem of sin in my life that I can't overcome? That there's power in the gospel of Jesus Christ to transform me, to save me, to adopt me into the family of God? And then along the way, as we strive so hard, ask yourself, am I aligning myself with the glory of God or am I trying to do it on my own? Because God is very good at accomplishing the point for which he has created us to bring glory and honor to him. In a moment, we're going to move to communion, which is an act of testifying to the truth that we're trusting in Jesus Christ. It's a reminder that we need Jesus. And it's a reminder to each other that we are trusting in Jesus. So let's bow our heads and pray for a moment. Father, before we get to communion, I pray that we would each do some heart searching. That we would ask ourselves, are we truly trusting in you? Or are we trying to fix everything in our own power? Are we truly seeing through your standard of what's wrong with the world? Or are we trying to see it through our own ideas? And Father, do we accept that it's only your power that can transform, that can change us, that can save us? And it's only through Jesus Christ that that can happen. And so I pray first and foremost here for anyone who's not a believer in Jesus. May today be the day they say, I accept Jesus as my Savior. I give my life to you, Father. Come what may. And Father, for those of us struggling along the way, slogging it out through thick and thin and maybe getting frustrated or even in despair, I pray that you would lift our eyes up. Remind us that you're not done with us yet that you have given us a purpose in this life to reflect your glory and you are really good at making that happen. 
What we need to do is keep on trusting you and following you every step of the way. And I pray for Orchard. I thank you for the many ways over the over 170 years this church has existed. You have been so faithful. And I pray, Father, you would keep our eyes locked on you. Keep our focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ and on your glory in everything that we do, in every situation, no matter what comes in this world, Father. Because we want to make sure that as a church, we are about the most important thing in the world, which is bringing you glory through the gospel of Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.